We're starting a brand new teaching series today called Good Gifts from a Good God. And uh, we're really going to be looking at, over these next few weeks, these summer months, the, the many gifts that God wants to share with you. Many good gifts that he wants to pour into your life. We're going to be looking at many of the gift lists in the New Testament. Things like uh, prophecy and speaking in tongues and miracles and healing and uh, exciting things like administration and helping and serving and mercy and all the wonderful things that God wants to give to you, for you, for others and for the world. So that sounds pretty exciting to me. Does that sound exciting to you? Let's... um, Start with this one scripture today. We're calling this message, The God Who Gives and Keeps on Giving. And here's a starter for 10. Luke 11, 13. We're going to come back to this verse at the end. It says, If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here's the point of where we're going today. We're talking about a God who is good and loves to give. And he loves to give the Holy Spirit so much to you as a means of conveying his gifts to you. That he will do that today if you ask him. In fact, I want to say this is for everybody here. There's some of you who are brand new Christians here this morning. And... You might not have been a Christian for more than five minutes, but I'm confident this, that God wants to pour his Holy Spirit into your life and give you his gifts. There's some of you here who are a bit longer in the tooth. You've been a Christian perhaps longer than I've been alive, and that really is saying something. But do you know what? There's fresh grace for you. There's fresh manna for you. There's fresh bread from heaven for you this morning. God wants... You might think, well, I know what my gifts are, and I know what I'm good at. No, God has more He has more for you, and he wants to increase your gifts, both in measure and number. And some of you aren't even Christians here today, or you think, well, I'm not sure if I am or not. Here's the most wonderful thing. Today, you could leave here a Christian, because God can give you the gift of his son. He can give you Jesus. He can give you forgiveness. He can give you eternal life, and he gives it to anybody who asks. So there's something for everybody here today. And at the end of this morning's message, I'm going to have a, we're going to have a few minutes, we're going to sing, we're going to have a few minutes where we can just talk to God, where we can receive from him in this moment, and we can ask him for stuff. And because we come to a good father, we can ask him for stuff and be confident. And if I do a good job with this message, you'll feel very confident in that moment to ask him. So that's where we're going. Let's just pray for a moment, then we'll start. Jesus, we just want to thank you for just your wonderful family. Thank you for all these people gathered here today. Thank you for people who are part of Kings. Thank you for those who are visiting from elsewhere. Lord, I thank you that all are welcome in your family. And Lord, I thank you for making a way for us to come to you. Teach us your word, we pray, that we might receive from you. Amen. So God is good. Isn't that right? God is good. Now, the goodness of God is something that is constantly under attack in your life. The truth that God is good. In fact, we we had a baby dedication this morning. If we were a more formal church where they did christenings, there would be these words in the liturgy. It would say, fight valiantly against the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
And you know, those three things are constantly at work in your life to take you away from God and to take you away from the truth of who God is. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And here's how it applies to the truth that God is good. We live in a world, and you, just, you don't have to look too far around you to do, think, well, there's a lot of mess in the world. There's a lot of pain. That's not good. There's a lot of poverty in the world. That's not good. There's a lot of inequality in the world. Even in the heights of the BBC, it seems. <laughs> That's not good. And you think, well, if there's a good God, then what I see around me doesn't testify to that all of the time because I see things that are evil. And we can let that somehow diminish us because we don't understand. Perhaps you've been chatting to a non-Christian friend and they'll ask you this question and they'll say, well, how could a good God send people to hell? Or how could a good God not agree with this society's notion of what good sex looks like? And you think, well, yeah. And you can find yourself just beginning to question. You can find yourself thinking, well, maybe he's not as good as what I thought he was. We need to get a big picture of the goodness of God. Do you know the very first temptation that came to the very first man and the woman was a temptation to not believe in the goodness of God? In Genesis chapter 3, you read that, you find that God provided the most beautiful habitation in all the world for the first man and the first woman, the Garden of Eden, and he gave them everything. They needed literally everything. In fact, he put two big trees in the middle of the garden. He said, here's the tree of life. Eat it. Take it. It's life. It's good for you. He said, here's another tree. This is going to be bad for you, this one. He says, eat this one and you'll die, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, part of us would say, Why on earth would a good God put something so potentially destructive in the middle of paradise, knowing that that could cause danger? Well, here's the answer to that question. That a good God wouldn't be good if he didn't give choice and freedom to people. You know, imagine if God created the world and he said, here's how it goes, Adam and Eve. When I say hallelujah, you say, yah. (laughs) Hallelujah, yah. Hallelujah, yah. And imagine they were like robots. That's what it could have been like. We can create robots, but they can't love us. They can't decide for themselves. And and we call leaders like that, we call them dictators and despots and fascists because they don't want to give people choice. God loves you and God is good because he gives choice and he puts it right there in creation. And sadly, Adam and Eve chose against it. And anyway, so Satan comes in the form of a serpent to Eve in those early days and He says, did God really say don't eat from that tree? And she says, yeah, he was really clear on that. And he says, no, you won't die. He says, for God knows that when you eat from that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Here was the temptation he brought. He said, God is holding out on you. I know you think God is good, but he's holding the really good stuff for himself. If you want to know what's really good for you, Eve, then you and Adam must step outside of the boundaries of what God says and eat the fruit that I say is good for you. And do you know that same lie has been going around the human race ever since? Saying to people, you know, if you want to know what's good, don't do what God says. Look at other options. And the world, the flesh, and the devil work against this truth that God is good. 
So therefore, it's important for us to be reminded this morning that God is good. And we read about it in creation. We read in Genesis 1, which is a beautiful poem expressing the truth of creation, that God created everything. This refrain comes five times. It says, and God saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. And here we have God, the creator, expressing himself in creation. And he can't do anything without it being good. Here's the reality. God has never done anything that isn't good. He never created anything that wasn't good. It's impossible for him to because that's part of his intrinsic character to be good. In Psalms it says, God is good and everything he does is good. And we read that refrain and again and again, the self-expression of God is good. When my kids sometimes come in from the garden having played rugby or football, they're covered in mud, and we spend our whole time saying, don't touch this, take your shoes off, don't go in there, stay off the carpet, because everything they touch goes bad. Everything they touch is messy and dirty. Well, everything God touches is made clean and good and holy. That's the God that we worship. And then on the final day of creation, after he made the first man and the first woman, God sat back and he said, this is very good. Because human beings are the most godlike creatures on the planet. We're made in the image of God. And although that image has been distorted through human beings walking away from God, even now, I bet there are many people on this planet that you think, God, they are good. I like them. Look at what they're doing. Look at that amazing music they produce. Look at that amazing uh, acting skill. Or, or somebody who's compassionate or working with hundreds or thousands of people. I was listening to, to Melinda Gates talking the other, uh, a few months ago, and she was just sort of routinely talking about lifting 120 million African women out of poverty through providing contraceptives at the right times and places. You think, isn't that good? Isn't that good? She's doing something good, and it, and it warms your heart when people do things good. Well, that is all a pale reflection of God's goodness. That God is good. Jesus showed us. He was the perfect human being. And everything he did was good. You couldn't fault him. In fact, even somebody came to him and they said, good teacher. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Because the answer was, well, he's good. He was good. He was good. And he was the perfect reflection of God. So God is good. And his goodness does not change. In James chapter 1, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Isn't that amazing? This same good God who created everything good, he's still good today. He hasn't had a mood change. He hasn't changed what he's thinking about stuff. He's still good. And the wonderful thing about his goodness is it's not subjective. We're used to the idea of goodness being subjective, aren't we? So if you... Talk to somebody, and you, say, you both go and see the same film, for example, at the, at the film place, the cinema. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, imagine you come out and you say, hey, let's say you went to watch Moana or something like that, and, and Nat comes out and he says, whoa, this is the best film ever. <laughs> he says, wasn't that good? And then Chris is next to him saying, no, this is an awful Disney film. This wasn't good. See, we, we used to the idea of good being a subjective thing. It's something in our opinion. We decide what's good, and it all revolves around our perception. Now, God is good whether we know it or not. 
God is good whether we like it or not. God is good whether we experience it or not. I was reading in um, one of the Old Testament prophets this week, Hosea. Um, pleased to see you didn't name your child after Hosea, Andy and Lauren. He, he had a pretty terrible job. His message to God's unfaithful people in the Old Testament was this, because they'd walked away from God into idolatry, they just wouldn't do anything that God said. God gave them a prophetic message saying, go and tell this people they're like an unfaithful marriage partner. And they just keep sleeping around with all these people, all these prostitutes. And so he gives them this message. And this is how God describes that people of Israel who've walked away from him. He says, she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. That's what Israel was doing. She was saying, well, good is defined by me. Oh, you know, if I get some love here, that's good for me. And if I get some love here, that's good for me. If I get some food here, that's good for me. This is what God said. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, who lavished on her the silver and the gold. Here's what God says. I'm the source of all the goodness. You might not have acknowledged it, Israel, but I was the one who provided for you. God is good, and his goodness doesn't change. Here's something else I want to tell you about the goodness of God. His goodness is demonstrated through generosity to the undeserving. So it's one thing to be good, okay? It's one thing to be good, and people know that you're good, but if you're good, you don't have to share your goodness with other people. You can just be good on a pedestal, and people say, wow, I wish I was like that. But here's the thing about this good God. He actually chooses to bless people who totally deserve not to be blessed by him. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4, we're given encouragement to approach God on this basis, on this word called grace. It said, let us then approach the throne of God's grace with confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He doesn't even use the word goodness. Because you know God is good, you might have a shot before him if you ask him to bless you. He says, no, come before God because he's gracious. He gives good things to people who don't deserve it. He gives good things to people who deserve the opposite. That is a foreign language in this world we live in. Do you know that? No, we're used to the idea of perhaps somebody letting us off the hook. You know, somebody, that, that would, we'd regard that as gracious. If somebody let us off something that we should have been penalised for, we think, okay, I've been gracious. My, my wife, Julie, in a, in a rare act in the whole of the time I've known her, she received a parking ticket last week. And, um, I mean, and if you know anything about my wife, is she never, ever breaks traffic laws, ever. Like, she wouldn't park her pram on the double yellow line. You know, that's how... <laughs> self-conscious she is on these things. Anyway, she was outraged because they'd given her a parking ticket wrongly. She'd paid her money and they'd still given her a ticket. So she wrote to the council and waited for the reply back. And we got the reply back the other day. And, and you could summarise the letter. It was quite a long letter. The final punchline was this. And so we have reluctantly decided to cancel your parking ticket. <laughs> the rest of it, when you read through it, really what they were saying was, clearly you're a bit of a slippery character. And one way or another, we're going to get you one day. <laughs> Because although you got off this time, we'll get you another time. <laughs> See, that's how we are in this world. We, we, uh, what we call acts of grace are just acts of 
mercy or kindness where we let people off something and we feel good about ourselves for doing it. But God is gracious because he lets people off things that they're really guilty of. He's the God of grace. He gives grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. When the time we need grace is the time when we've fallen short of his standard. And when God had us in the dock with all of our accusations showing us as guilty, he chose to relate to us on the basis of grace, not holding our sin over us. He chose to call us friends. When Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than receive. He wasn't just saying a nice principle to live your life by. He was saying, this is the very character of God. He said, do you know God's a God who loves to give more than he loves to get? He's a God who loves to give mercy more than he loves to be worshipped. In fact, it might tell you something about our God, that before he created the world... According to Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, he'd already preordained that the Son of God would become the Lamb of God who would take the sin of the world upon himself. Why? Because God's a generous God before he's a receiving God. So as we talk about receiving gifts from God today, this is what it means, that regardless of your state of heart or mind this morning, God is very eager to bless you today. God is very eager to pour out his spirit in your life today. Not about what you do, but based on his character and his generosity. He exudes generosity on every occasion. In summarizing the whole gospel, Paul said in Romans 8, what shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things. So he says, let's get one thing clear today. God has given you the most precious thing in the entire universe. God is never going to hold out on you for any other lesser thing because you know how generous he is. Isn't that right? If you can be confident to know he's given you his son, you can be confident he's generous towards you about everything else as well. His goodness is beyond measure. When Jesus came into the world, one of his followers, John, said in John chapter 1, verse 16, he said, out of his fullness, we've received grace upon grace. He said, here's what it was like to be with Jesus. It was just like grace, 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 undeserved favor, undeserved goodness. Wherever Jesus went, people received the overflow of his goodness. And that overflow is now pouring into your life and mine today. The Pharisees of Jesus' day, the reason they reacted to Jesus was because they didn't understand that God's goodness and his grace could be received without effort. Because they were so busy trying to please God in their own strength. They were trying to earn his favor. And Jesus kept telling stories whereby he said, you don't need to earn God's favor. It's a free gift from God. In Luke chapter 15, he told the famous story of what we call the prodigal son. It's the story of two sons. And the first son, you'll know the story probably, he squanders half of his father's estate, goes and totally loses it on prostitutes, on, on partying, on that whole lifestyle. And he comes back to his senses and he thinks, oh, you know what, I haven't got any money left. Where can I go when I've not got any money left? 
mum and dad. And so he goes back, but as he goes back to his dad, he goes with this strange speech. Does it ever come across to you as strange when you read it? He says, Dad, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He says, I know, I've got a good idea. I'm going to come back to God. I can't expect him uh, to my father. I'm not going to expect him to be generous because obviously I've, I've been a fool. He says, but I'm going to go and ask him for a job and say, Dad, forget that I'm your son. Just give me a job, please. He comes back thinking that he should be a slave for his father. The other brother who stayed at home all his life, he's always done the right thing. Interestingly, he has exactly the same attitude. It says that the elder brother became angry and refused to go into the party because the the father said, no, no, you're my son. I'm going to have a celebration because you're home. God will never receive you on the basis of a slave. He wants you as his son. But the older brother gets angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, he said, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Isn't that a fascinating verse? He's not talking to his dad like a dad. He's not saying, Dad, how come I never get a goat or anything with my friends? He's saying, I've obeyed you and I've been slaving and working. Why didn't you pay me what I deserved, Dad? See, He stayed at home, yet he had a slavish mentality as well. He thought he had to work for his father's pleasure. The one who went away thought he had to work his way back. The one who stayed at home thought he had to work his way in. I want to say each of us in this room today will have a disposition to one of those two tendencies. You'll either think that you're not good enough And that God would never bless you because of your performance. Or some of you will think because you've been a good person and because you've been faithful and coming to church week in, week out, and you've led small groups and you've you've helped people in all sorts of situations, you think, surely God, you could pour out a bit of favor in my life now and again because I've been working hard for you. Actually, the basis of God giving you is not your performance at all. It's about his generosity and love for you. Sometimes my kids or our kids, they they come to us and they will say, this will be true if you're a parent as well. They'll say, hey, in so-and-so's family, they play the Xbox all night. (laughs) And they have sweets for breakfast. (laughs) Dinner and lunch. Why can't we be like that? And the answer is always very simple. So you might try and rationally argue with them, but here's the very simple answer that you give. You say, well, that's their family. This is our family, and we, we don't do that. And if you're trying to get down there with your now teenage kids, you just say, hey, that's not how we roll in this family. <laughs> and they're like, oh, no. <laughs> See, welcome to the family of God. You working to receive God's grace and his gifts and his Holy Spirit. That's not how it rolls here. That's not how God rolls. That's not how he works. He gives to you because he loves you. He gives to you because he's generous and he always has been. 
And he gives to you not based on your performance, good or bad. He loves you. Ephesians 1 verse 8 says this. The riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. God's love on your life is gracious and it's lavish. It's beyond what is expected. When God talks about the Holy Spirit, John 3.34, it says he gives the Spirit without limit. How does God pour the Spirit on life? Is it with a measure? No, it's without measure because that's the kind of God he is. Uh, very quickly, I want three volunteers. Um, Sam um, and uh, uh, Obi. And uh, just come and sit around the table. And uh, Nat, go on, you as well. Just come and sit here. And uh, no, Nat, you sit there, that's good. And then and Obi, you sit there, that's great. Thank you very much. So just a little breakfast time dish, just a quick <laughs> illustration. So let's say Nat here is a bit of a Pharisee, okay? Um, always trying to work for his salvation and... And always, you know, he's, he's trying to hold it over on God because he, you know, you, you do all sorts of good stuff, don't you? you I mean, you're, you're a pretty good guy. Everybody thinks, Nat, he's always doing the right thing, going out of his way. And, and, but in, inside that brain of his, there's a Pharisee mindset where he's saying, I'm doing this because I need to earn God's goodness in my life. And God will bless me because I'm good. The trouble is, God is infinitely, infinitely better than that. <laughs> And so when God says, okay, well, you've done something good for me, Nat, I'll give you back an equal measure of my goodness. There you go. There's your breakfast. (laughs) One Rice Krispie, because you you just don't match up to God, I'm afraid. Now, Sam here, he's he's a much more sort of uh, understanding guy, and he, uh, these are just caricatures. None of these are real things, by the way. (laughs) um, And he understands, you know, God's merciful, but... He has God in the view of this being this reluctant giver. He says, well, God's good. He's merciful. He's kind. I know he'll give me what I don't deserve, but, you know, I'm I'm sure he's pretty cross at me about a few things. So, therefore, I won't expect too much of God. So, let's just give you a little little bowlful here. Okay, there you go. And... uh, and, and that's where many, many of us as Christians can say, well, this is, this is how we are. Just tuck on in, guys. I mean, go. Have, you, have you not finished yet now? You, um, can't believe you didn't say grace. You're a Pharisee. <laughs> now, Obi here, he's, let, let's just say Obi here, he, he's never had any reason to, to expect that God would bless him because let's say he's been a right rascal all of his life. And let's say he always does the wrong thing and he's trying to follow Jesus. And, but, you know, he keeps getting it wrong. He keeps falling into temptation. And, and he forgets to pray, forgets to read his Bible. And he comes to the church and he says, oh, I just feel so guilty. Yeah, this is the measure that God gives to people who reach out to him and say, God, I know it's not about me. And in his heart, Obi comes to God and he says, Lord, I know that you'll bless me not based on who I am, not based on my work, but on Jesus and his generosity. I thank you, you're a generous God. And and this is how God is with Obi. He he begins to pour into his bowl and he gives him, gosh, he's already got even more than the guy who who, who sort of thought God was a reluctant giver because he thinks, no, God's not reluctant. But this is the amazing thing about the abundance of God. He's a lavish God. He's an overflowing God. And it just goes on 
and on and on and on and on and on and on. Thanks, guys. It's great. See, the question is, what's the measure of God in your life today? What's the measure of God in your life today? Is it one Rice Krispie? Is it a little bowlful because you think he might be nice to you? Or is it an understanding of this that God loves me because he's so generous? And it's not about me, so I can expect the full measure of the goodness of God and the spirit of God in my life. Why will God give you his gifts? Because he's an excessive, extravagant kind of God who gives gifts to undeserving people. One more scripture we're going to look at, and then we are just going to have a moment to receive from God. This is the scripture we began with, and I want to park this by saying his goodness and his grace and his gifts are for you today. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 11 to counter the idea that God is stingy. And he says, his story says this, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. To everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So it's exactly the same thing, six times in a row. That's just how much Jesus wants you to understand this. Here's his question. Which father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Here's his question. If you're a if you're a son, I mean, when Andy stood up this morning, he said, he said just love Ezra, he's perfect. Do you get something of that fatherly heart? The Bible says, Andy, that you're evil, but <laughs> relative to God. But hey, this is the father's heart. He's looking at his son, he said, he's lovely, he's perfect. I mean, if, if Andy had got up here this morning and said, to be honest, he's trouble, this one. You know, he's always crying and keeping us awake at night. You think, well, that doesn't sound very fatherly. No, he's delighted. And the love of the Father in heaven is delightful. He says, if your son asks you for fish, you go down the chip shop and he can smell the vinegar. He says, here it comes. And then dad says, here you go. <laughs> ah! Snake. You think, that'd be weird. That'd be quite dark, wouldn't it? <laughs> or if... If your son asks you for a boiled egg, he says, hey, Dad, can I have a boiled egg? And he's expecting it. He's got his knife and fork ready, and you give him a scorpion. <laughs> well, weird. God says, well, you wouldn't even do that. Everybody here says, nobody would do that. Well, he said, well, God certainly won't do that, and God will be so much better than anything you could ask or expect. And there's two roles described in this passage. One is the description of God who loves to give. And the other is this, this child who says, Dad can have an egg. Dad can have a fish. And here's what I want to ask you to do today. is to ask this God who loves you very much, who delights in you, and more than that, delights in himself to give to you more than you would ever deserve. 
The invitation is for you to ask him for his spirit and for you to ask him for his gifts with the full assurance that he will give you what you ask for because he is a good God.